Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, fidgeters. If you're looking for something soothing, something to calm you down and settle your nerves in these uncertain times, well, we've got a good half hour or so of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. That'll cure what ails you. Better than a shot of horse-grade ivermectin. G'day, Matt. You've gone for a more conventional double dose of Pfizer. Good to see. How's your week been? Yeah, the week's been good, and I'm not sure that soothing I've been called before, but thank you very much. There we go. It's your dulcet tones. <laughs> it must be the dulcet tones. That must be it. So this week, I've actually been talking to a few people about Internet of Things. Now, Internet of Things have been around for a while. It's estimated next year it'll be a US $1.1 trillion industry across oh, the globe. Nice. So it's a big industry, but we've almost forgotten about it. I actually haven't heard as much about IoT as I did, say, before COVID-19, for example, and whether or not that's been so much focus around, I don't know, video conferencing and connectivity, remote connectivity. Very distracting. It has been very distracting. Maybe we've forgotten about it, but I think that's something we're going to see as we come out of lockdown and we get back to normal, in inverted commas, we actually might start getting back to Internet of Things. And now we're all more familiar with technology. Everyone's an expert on QR codes and mm. a whole bunch of different technology. I actually think we'll see a lot more with IoT, and there is so much potential for IoT, and we've got better connectivity. Obviously, 5G's advanced over the last year and a half. We've got the ability to have smaller and smaller devices. So all the things that we need for IoT to work well, I think, are there. So keep an eye out for more IoT devices. We haven't actually spoken about many of them in the last probably... Well, we haven't. No. No. (laughs) in, In the last so many episodes, but I think there are some really cool devices coming out. There's some advances there. So maybe we'll have QR codes all around the house. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> scanning all into, connected to the scanning internet. Scanning into the bathroom and... <laughs> <laughs> Just tracking your whereabouts. <laughs> if there is one thing we have learned during lockdown, it is that there is video conferencing and then there is video conferencing. Am I right? If you want your video conferences to be remembered for the content of the meeting rather than the poor quality of the technology, then Crestron is the solution for you. Crestron is simple to deploy, simple to use, yet delivers exceptional performance. To improve your next video conference, visit meetwithcrestron.com forward slash tech talk. Today, folks, we've got a bunch of treats for you. There's some big news about controlling cars by phone. That's going to be interesting. Uh, We're going to wade into the murky waters of online censorship. And there's some great news for people who are sick and tired of persisting with busted phone screens. Yes, everyone hates a busted phone screen. Now, for the first story, though, I'm a little reticent to talk about this one. Uh, You see, I've I've had a long chat with my 14-year-old about how playing computer games is no way to make him money when he's older. But apparently, Matt... I'm very, very wrong. I'm there with you. For years, I just had my teenage son stop playing those games, get back to to study. Train your brain to something worthwhile. Absolutely. You've got to get into university. You want to get a decent job. And now he's at university. I've rang him and I said, give up university. I've got a better solution for you. Get back (laughs) to those games. games. Start (laughs) playing Call of Duty now. Whatever it is, whatever it takes. It doesn't matter what you play, apparently. Twitch has had a major leak. And one of the things Twitch has done, and Twitch is an online gaming portal, so you can go and watch on Twitch 
what other people are doing. Yeah, that's a phenomenon. <laughs> it is. Like if if uh, you know if you get sick of playing the game yourself, you can always watch someone online play. And it doesn't excite me that much. I get frustrated <laughs> if I'm sitting there playing with my son. I go, hurry up, it's my turn, it's my turn. So paying <sighs> to watch someone play just doesn't do it for me. But, but obviously, there's a market for it. It does it for a lot of other people. That's right. So Twitch is now – sorry, they're very secretive. They're incredibly secretive. If you're a Twitch gamer and you get paid by Twitch for playing games and having people watch you, you cannot talk about how much you earn. Mm. Twitch is very – club. Oh, absolutely. They're very, very strong on you. Do not talk about it. Otherwise, we just basically kick you out of the system, I assume. Oh, wow. But there's been a data breach. So now we've got the numbers. And there's ah. been some confirmation that some of these numbers are pretty accurate. So if we think that someone paying just a small amount of money to watch someone play a game is not going to generate much income, well, the top Twitch streamer or gamer made in a two-year period, August 2019 to October 2021, made US $9.6 million. What are we doing, James? Let's <laughs> give up on this and let's go gaming. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. I assume you've got to be good at it, though. Well, that's probably a part of it. But it seems that people watch people to play games for entertainment value. So maybe being bad at it, Mm. there may be a niche there for us. Maybe we could be really bad at a couple of old guys who aren't anywhere near as good as the younger guys. That'd be hilarious. People would laugh at us. It's okay. For 9.6 million, I can can hear people, handle people laughing at me. (laughs) So that's, that's one thing. But they also like to get some tips on how to play the games a bit better. So that's the number one gamer. But if you take the top five earners, they grossed US $35 million. So that's averaging out across those top five. Having said that, there's a lot of people on Twitch and most of them are making a few dollars. That's about (laughs) it for their efforts for the year. So there's a lot more people down the bottom end than there are at the very top end. But one of the things that Twitch is worried about, and some of these gamers are worried about too, is that someone sits there at their job all day and works away and got their job working and grinding away Mm. and they come home and they've earned their salary for the day and they pay someone a dollar or two to come and watch them play. Not thinking that this guy's making US 9.6 million over a two year period. So they're worried that some of these people who have been paying in the past might say, you know what? I don't really want to pay someone who's earning multi-millions to have people watch them. I'm going to stop spending my money with them and that's going to be it. And that's what the game is worried about and that's why Twitch has been so secretive over it. So this data breach may actually reduce the income quite dramatically of some of these people. Well, yeah, I think you pointed out we're in the wrong game, <laughs> um, particularly if we want to get ourselves uh, $9.6 million. But yeah. uh, wow, that just blows me away. And esports has become a big thing as well. Absolutely. And um, you can earn good money. The prize money for esports is regularly in the million dollar mark. Mm. And sometimes their team, some of those people in those teams are paid big money to be a member of that team. So you're paid to be a member of the team. And then there's prize money as well. So it's just like normal sports, isn't it? You get it paid is. to go and play the game and get paid some prize. And there you are win. commentators that commentate while you play as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's big money business. Now, my car's got one of those digital screen displays that does everything from clocks to maps to music and sound, and, and you have to pull over and fumble with about eight different menus just to turn the aircon down by about two degrees. And then I've got yeah, the electronic seat adjustment. Uh, that'll fix my comfort level in 47 different ways. Um, there's the electronic mirror adjustment, the windows, the dashboard light dimming, yeah, all those things. Uh, used to be so straightforward in my 1972 E-Type um, or Type 3 VW. So these are all first world problems, folks. First world problems with a futuristic solution now, and it can all be controlled, of course, by your phone. Why not? Matt, 
I guess it's a case of what can't what can't be controlled by your phones these days. Well, that's the idea, and I think that's where the phone manufacturers like it to be. We're probably more familiar with our phone interface than we are with our car interface. And as you said, they're different in each car, and you jump in someone else's car, and where's yeah. the air conditioning, and how do I change this control? Apple's done a part of it with their CarPlay. So when you jump into a phone that's compatible with Apple CarPlay, you plug your phone in, and then the in-dash entertainment system becomes a bit like an iPhone. Hmm. So you're familiar with it. You know how it looks and how to change things around. And That's focused on your stereo, though. So you can listen to your music on that, do your maps, but it can't control things like your air conditioning control or your seats. But that's where they're headed. Apple is trying to work to the point where their car manufacturers that are using CarPlay have got an API so they can have their phone plug in and you use either the phone to control those things or the interface that comes up looks familiar to you. So that's the focus there. Google obviously doesn't want to take this lying down. So they're taking a slightly different approach. They don't want to plug your phone in to have that control your car or have that interface. They just want to give you the interface in the car. So they want the Android operating system to be part of the in-car entertainment system. And they've ah, done some so deals. A bit of an arm wrestle here for, yeah. A- absolutely. We love arm wrestles because for you and I as consumers, we win out of arm wrestles. Yeah. If there's someone that controls it, then they can just do whatever they want. But when there's an arm wrestle, we love that. So they've done deals at the moment, Google, with Polestar, Ford, Honda, GM, to use what they call Android Automotive. So when you jump in the car that's got Android Automotive, it all looks familiar to you Hmm. if you use an Android phone. So the interface looks the same. I'm familiar with how that works. I know how to get in and out of things. That all makes sense. So this is all part of keeping that common interface and really the phone manufacturers seeing what else can we control? What else can we do? (laughs) We've had some of the things with our Google Home and the Apple HomePod, for example. We want to control homes. We want to control cars. Cars. We want to control people next. Who knows? But that's what they want to do. I want. I want them to be able to change my clock to daylight savings in the car because I tell you what, that's a frustrating <laughs> thing in the old car. It is. Uh. <laughs> and you leave it there for ages. I've got to get around that. I've got to get around that. You pull out the manual out of the glove box to search around. It turns out that the manual is for a different model of the car anyway. So it doesn't. Well, work I, I find some of them too when they've got the in dash entertainment system with some sort of sat-nav, it's getting the time off the satellites Mm. very accurately. But then the other clock that might be in the dash, for example, has got a different time because it's manually set. So you've got these two (laughs) different times. I think surely they could just synchronise these two together. But you're right. That will fix that problem because it will be controlled by your phone. It's this whole process, I suppose, where they're really getting these phones taking over. We saw a demonstration at last year's Apple iPhone launch where they had a BMW being opened up with Apple Car Key. So again, that's Apple trying to say, hey, we'll take over control of this brand of car and have Apple CarPlay and our API working. Google, go away. You don't want to be in sort of collaboration with this particular vehicle. I'm really intrigued, though, whether car manufacturers will actually take a bet on one or the other because it may be the deciding decision. When I'm coming to buy my new car, I look at these three different cars and I go... Which one's got Apple? Yeah, that's right. right. All three are equal, but this one's got Mm. Apple and this one has got Google. I'll make my decision based on my phone, not all the great features of the car. (laughs) Will they make... Apple-specific models of those cars and Google-specific models? Google. <laughs> I don't know. I think they'll probably take a bet on one or the other, but this is this is a battleground. This is a new it's battleground amazing. which we'll see develop. And, of course, um, this is not a revenue-raising plot um, by the uh, police force to sting people for playing with their phones <laughs> while they're driving at home. You're very deep. That might be the case. We, I might have missed that altogether. Of course, you plug the phone into the dashboard and then it all comes up on your dashboard so you can, uh, yeah, it's all about the interface, folks. So all you're not playing that. with your phone. That's not okay. playing with your phone. That's right. 
Article 19 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights states that everyone shall have the right to hold opinions without interference. And we saw what happened in 1933 when the Third Reich established a Ministry of Propaganda, folks. But now YouTube and Google are now cutting off ad money for climate change deniers. Is this akin to censorship? Some murky waters ahead here, Matt. I'm really intrigued by this one, James. This really gets me. I don't know the answer to this, and it's not often that I say that. I, I think I've got the answer to most things. I mm. don't know the answer to this. There's a real, it's, it's, an, it's an ethical dilemma. It is both an ethical dilemma, but also a, an investigation on the powers that a company has over a government. And let's look at just two companies here, for example. We've got Google, who owns YouTube now, mm. but YouTube is the focus for this. YouTube has 2.3 billion users and they watch over 1 billion hours of video every single day. (laughs) That's a lot of minds that Google can influence. Facebook has 2.79 billion users and 73% of those people use it daily. I don't know another government in this world that has that Ability to influence people. The numbers are just phenomenal. They there. are. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely incredible. They're, they're almost too big to comprehend, really, when you think about it. But yeah. We sorry. think China's big, and China's got mm. about 1.3 billion people or thereabouts. And let we've got YouTube as a country, Facebook as a country, is more than double the size of China. So let's go back a couple of steps here, because I'm really intrigued by this. And I, I actually, I'm interested in your opinion on a couple of things here. First thing, if I say to you, is censorship good? What's the, the first yeah, response you have? The, the, the term censorship has got these heavy connotations and mm. your immediate response is, no, people have got to be able to say what they need to say. And you gave the example there from Germany. Absolutely. We, we think of the unbelievable censorship and propaganda that Hitler put out mm. and the, having a ministry of propaganda. Mm. <laughs> how, how in your face is that? It wasn't yeah, even right. trying to hide it. <laughs> no, it's no, just no, like, no. No, oh, this is what it is. This is this what is we're going to do. They're going to give you the message that you need. That's right. And if you don't agree with it, in fact, I think some journos who didn't conform to the Ministry of Propaganda's guidelines ended up in the salt mines or on the front or wherever you got sent if you weren't. Certainly not celebrating anything uh, in particular. No, that's right. So censorship, the immediate reaction is that's bad. And then we go to the extreme other end where we say, oh, is it okay to see hate violence or Mm. uh, racism or child pornography, should that be distributed around? And your answer there, I assume, would be... Of course, the same thing. Absolutely not. Yeah. So then if we stop that, that's censorship. But if we don't like censorship, then we say people can do whatever they want. And so then we... Sounds like we're encouraging child pornography, which we're not, which we're not. Just yeah, the, to, to the, the line is, is far from black and white. It is. And that's the problem here. So the issue that I have here is that YouTube or Google as a parent company came out and just said, we're going to stop all ads that are going to monetize climate change deniers. So anyone out there who makes money out of it, which some people do, around saying that climate change isn't real, we're stopping that. And we've also done something similar with people that are out there with an anti-vax message. Facebook does something similar where they label things as false information, whether it be anti-vaxxers or it be climate change deniers. And most social media companies are doing something similar. But there's no one who's actually regulating this or looking at what is being censored. And so no one above the companies. But yeah, I get, get this feeling that a company de- deserves the right to be able to say, we're happy for, for this message to be broadcast using us. Um, and we're not happy for that message to be because that's how a company stands. You know, if you're going to fly your flag through a company and say, this is our message, 
And I guess we just take, um, yeah, we take Google and Facebook for granted. We just say, right, well, that's a message board for everyone, regardless of whatever message you're going to give. You think that's the case until you see the censorship come until, in. Yes, and that's it. And and so then I think, yes, well, they deserve the right to say that's not in line with it, what our, our core beliefs and our core values are. Yeah, for that company. For that company. And, and I agree entirely with that until you get to the point where the company is so large that it can influence the world because mm. they're so big. And one of the things that a former Facebook moderator said was that one of the things that they were told to censor, along with all the obvious things, the child pornography and the things we've mentioned before, is any negative commentary about Facebook. So if I get on Facebook and say, Facebook is terrible, it's rubbish, you should go to this other social media site, it's much better than Facebook, there's a pretty good chance that that would be censored. <laughs> and we would say, well, hold on, that is censorship in the Third Reich manner where we're really just taking a message and yeah. making it our own in whatever way we want. The real issue here is that this is a company making decisions about their profitability and that's their focus. That's what they're trying to do is make themselves more so profitable. So they'll go with whatever message is most popular. And whatever is good for their advertisers. And the climate change denial messaging that they're now censoring effectively has been driven by their advertisers because their advertisers said, we don't like when we run something on Facebook and we see an ad pop up for some crazy person out there saying that climate change isn't real and scientists mm. are making it all up and this is all normal, whatever message they come up with. So they've been driven by their shareholders who they should be driven by because they're trying to make profit. But the censorship part of it, we see in some governments, for example, in Austria, you it's against the law in Austria to talk about or promote the idea of Holocaust denial. Mm. But that was a decision made by a government, a duly elected government, that actually had a public transparent process and people could talk to their elected leaders and had some input into that decision and then finally a parliament made that decision. But a Google or a Facebook... They just say... You've got a small board that sit around a table and say, this is what we're going to go with. And that's exactly what happened with the YouTube example. There was no discussion about it. It was a policy that was announced and it became or it came into effect immediately. That was it. From now on, any uh, anything out there that's promoting climate change denial and making money out of it, that's it. It's all blocked. Yeah, look, I've got to say that um, as frustrating as I've found the anti-vax message and the anti... Um, human-induced climate change message to be, um, yeah, through social media and whatnot. As frustrating as I've found that, it's made me think really hard about what I understand in my understanding. <laughs> um, and, you know, I've got a strong scientific back background, um, but um, it's really made me think about the science. And it's served a purpose. However, it's also really infuriated me at times. <laughs> 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 and see, that's okay. It's okay to have different opinions, and yeah. that's what that's what Article Nineteen. Yeah, but the problem is, I guess, when the opinion isn't based on fact, but it's based on something that is skewed, uh, and and should we censor that? Even that's, I guess, that's the big debate. That's the big debate. And if every opinion had to be based on fact, we wouldn't be able to go to the pub on a Friday night mm. <laughs> because most of the opinions I hear on, <laughs> at the pub on a Friday night yeah, are not based right. on fact. Yeah. So it's a really tricky one. The other example I gave, and I don't want to sound like I'm sticking up for climate change deniers here. Let me put on record that I think that climate... Well, no, I don't think. I know that climate change is real. I know that vaccination is good for us. Let's get that out of the road. But one of the things that's fascinating is when you start denying people having their opinion, being able to express it, as you talked about then, then the two things happen. One, 
it's great to see the back and forth where you've got to justify it. And science over mm. the ages has always been great at saying this is the current knowledge with our all of our research, all of our background, here's what we know. Mm. And then that can change because yeah. more information comes to light. And science is fantastic at that. I've, I've really – that's been um, – it's been doubly um, problematic as it is um, one of the things that I really like about science, the, the, the fact that, yes, the, the books that have been written can be changed. Yeah. Now, there's a – and you might be able to correct me exactly what the model was, but I remember in Year 11 Physics they talked about the history of, of physics and about discovering what the atom looked like, and there was the plum pudding model. Yeah, you know, for sure. Yeah, uh, the, the model of the atom has changed drastically over the last 100 years. Yes. And, and I remember in that class – when the plum pudding model was put forward by our teacher, we had a bit of a chuckle. And mm. the teacher said, stop right there. When this model was put forward, it was the best model the with best all scientific model. knowledge. Right. Yep. You go forward 100 years, and sure, we've got slightly better versions of the atom now, but don't laugh at someone at that period in time because that was accepted. That was accepted as the model of the atom, the plum pudding model. And it's part of the broader understanding. So, yeah, when it comes to climate change, when it comes to anti-vaccination um, and, and whatnot, uh, that, that we are able to get a deeper understanding when we're forced to think harder about things. Correct. And that's what I love. I love that sort of debate. I love those dinner parties where you had that debate where someone's got a crazy idea yeah. that, that I would call crazy, but you've got to justify your concept. But, but the internet has created this enormous dinner table, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. And people get really angry around that dinner table, they don't do. they? They do. They never say those things at a dinner table <laughs> with the things I say online. But the other quick couple of examples I thought would be worthwhile, and, and again, it sounds like I'm sticking up for climate change and here. I'm not. I'm not. But if we had the internet back over hundreds of years ago and we had social media sites, YouTube, Facebook, etc., there'd be some interesting censorship that would have occurred. And if we go back to Copernicus and Galileo, who talked about, they dared to talk about the fact that the Earth may not have been the centre of our little galaxy, may not, may not have been the centre of our universe. Mm. So that was a pretty dangerous thing to say back in those days. And in fact, in 1632, Galileo published a book which didn't actually say absolutely outright that the sun might have been the centre, but he just implied it <laughs> vaguely that maybe the sun was the centre. That'd be tricky. Yeah, we were going around well, when the When Copernicus sun. published his book, he actually published it on his deathbed. So as soon as... So they couldn't pick on so, him. So, so as soon as he breathed his last breath, breath, they were able to grab that book from underneath his arm and, oh, there's a lot of hold on. And he was smart for doing that because when Galileo published his book, he spent a few years left in him. Inquisition. And that's right. And he was actually convicted of heresy and put under house arrest for the rest of his life. Now, can you imagine if the accepted view back in those days, obviously, was the earth was at the centre of everything, and if Galileo dared to publish something on the Facebook equivalent in 1632, mm. it would have been censored or labelled as false information because all the scientists of the day said, no, no, this is wrong, Galileo, how dare you say that? The earth is obviously at the centre, so you're just putting out incorrect information. So this is where it can be dangerous when we start centering things because we think we know the answer, mm. and, and you and I sitting here think we know a part of the answer to climate change and vaccination, but we might be wrong, and it might be proven that we're wrong in the future. But at the moment, we think that all the scientific evidence points to what our understanding of it is. There's a phrase that haunts me, and that's, if 10,000 people think the wrong thing, it's still the wrong thing. <laughs> and, and yeah, that's I do good. think about that for, yeah, that, uh, for climate change and for, for vaccinations and whatnot. Yeah, but from what we understand, from everything that we understand, the, our deepest knowledge of it, that we're on the right track. Exactly right. Two other quick examples before we finish off on this topic. We've been a bit long on this one, sorry. But 1847, there was a guy, a doctor, 
Ignaz Semmelweis. Yeah, Semmelweis. That's a sad Semmelweis, story. Yeah. yeah, so an obstetrician. He actually published evidence that said, when I wash my hands before I deliver babies, the death rate or the mortality rate of the mothers, mothers. Mm. is certainly much better than when I don't wash my hands. Yeah, he had doctors doing autopsies and then coming in to deliver a baby. <laughs> That's right. I'm dealing with someone who's died of some disease and then I'm and bringing that in. And they weren't washing their hands. But in the, the wing of the hospital where he had all the midwives delivering babies, the death rate for mothers was, was next to none. Absolutely right. And the midwives obviously probably weren't doing autopsies, weren't dealing with some dead people and bringing those diseases in. Or maybe the midwives were just cleaner and just washed their hands mm. anyway. But he actually ended up in a mental institution mm. because his fellow doctors thought he was so crazy and he died there. He actually got beaten up and he got taken in there and ended up dying in there. And obviously now, a few years later, we understand that. But again, if he had have published his ideas on Facebook, it would have been labelled false information. It would have been censored yes. or all sorts of things. And the crazy thing about that story was that the doctors actually did try wash, washing their hands. They went with him. He was a, Semmelweis was a hospital administrator. He wasn't a doctor. Oh, wasn't he? No, oh, sorry. So he, was, he was just the administrator, yeah. And yep. so um, he got the doctors to wash their hands and next thing we knew that the, the women were surviving the childbirth fine. Yep. And then the doctor said, well, it's all coincidental. We'll go back to our old practices. And, and when they went that's back... That's what drove him crazy. <laughs> well, when they went back, apparently, the death rate went up by yes, six times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, And the last one, sorry, was Alfred Wegener. He was the oh, first one that proposed yes. continental drift. Yeah. 1912. Again, crazy. Man, not a geologist. That's right. Just how would he know anything? How crazy? He was completely mocked. And he gave up on the idea after a while. He thought, well, maybe I am wrong. Mm. 1960 it took before finally they said, oh, actually, this continental drift, there's a bit of a mm. uh, evidence here that says this might be right. But again, 1912, he would have been labelled or censored in our current environment. So that's where it gets dangerous when we start censoring what we think we know as the correct answer. Mm. Anyway, mm. interesting. Plenty of food for thought there. Here's a hint that uh, it's time to get up from your PC and do something else. Folks, you can now buy a gaming mouse with an inbuilt fan to reduce the hazard of palm sweat. Matt, what uber-intense gaming couch potato genius dreamed this gem up? This is someone on Twitch, obviously. The guy earning US $9.6 million gets sweaty palms. <laughs> well, he's got to train. So he's got to put hours and hours in training. I reckon if, if you've been playing so hard that you've got a sweaty palm and that's inhibiting your use of the mouse, go outside and have a walk. <laughs> <laughs> that is the wrong advice for gamers. Sorry, the sorry, wrong sorry, advice. sorry, sorry. The, the solution is not go outside and take a walk. The solution is get a mouse with a fan, with a fan inside it. it. Now, it's actually quite a groovy mouse. It's got LED lights around the bottom. You it can sounds program cool. Those. Yep. So you've got all those things there, but it's got a web back of it or the, the web sort of structure of the back so that the fan inside can get air blowing through that onto the palm of your hand. Now, I must admit, James, I have never played a game so, so hard, hard that I've sweated. <laughs> oh, the sweat of my palm is hazardous. <laughs> but there are people, obviously, they're pretty anxious while they're playing it. There's a fair bit of tension that happens while you're playing a game. And then you obviously have a bit of physical activity. I might suggest that some of these people with the physical activity of moving their hand, if that's enough to work up a sweat, maybe they yes. do need to go outside <laughs> and do a little bit of other exercise. But I don't want to just If your heart talk. is working too hard to move that mouse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to just cast everyone into a, the same pigeonhole. Same stereotype, yeah. Right. <laughs> but we're all picturing it. We are. I am picturing it right now. <laughs> that's exactly right. The chips and the soft drinks there beside <laughs> them on the other side with their left hand and their right hand on the mouse. But isn't it amazing the things we have to come up with? Because this is, again, mm. this is a first world problem yep. of sweating palms, you can't take your hand off the mouse and wipe it on your jeans. You've got to leave it on there with the mouse blowing. 
up underneath it, well, and away you go. Some of those mice might get really, really hot as well, and they, they need could to be cooled down. Yeah, I thought about overworked one. mice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so if me. that's a problem for you, there is now a solution for you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Solving problems here. Solving the big problems. The world has changed dramatically over the last 18 months and the new normal will involve a hybrid workforce with video conferencing a part of that mix. You need your staff to focus on what really matters, the meeting, not the technology. Crestron can help your Teams or Zoom or WebEx meeting rooms work first time, every time, because Crestron is all about you. It is simple to deploy, simple to manage and a joy to use. To use video conferencing that adapts to the way you want to work, visit meetwithcrestron.com forward slash tech talk. Time for another update on the Epic versus Apple in-app payment saga. Now it's time for a new player to enter the ring, a little guy. Exploiting a teeny tiny crack in a ruling from a couple of weeks ago. Matt, is this the definitive case of poking the bear, so to speak? I think it's better than poking the bear. I really enjoy the fact that someone has very quickly responded to a court ruling and said, there's an opening there for me. There's a business there for me. And Apple has got Apple worried. It has got Apple worried to the point where, and and just to recap, the Epic versus Apple battle was effectively about Fortnite, the game, Mm. where they were trying to take payments outside the Apple ecosystem. And that's very naughty from Epic to do that. So Apple kicked Epic off the uh, app store so you couldn't actually go and get the app through the app store and they said you've basically contravened our rules of engagement there was a court battle epic took 10 items to court and said we want you to rule on all of these things we think apple are being very naughty with these 10 the judge said nine of them epic no sorry you don't win those and apple said great the 10th one though was taking payments in the game epic said or sorry the judge said that you have to allow other people to have in-app payment systems. Apple, yeah. take, So it's only one out of 10, but it's a out big 10. one. And Apple said, this was a great victory for us at the end of the court battle, but now that this little company, a little company called Paddle, has introduced an in-app payment system to work with Apple apps. So sorry, <laughs> Apple have now said, we're going to appeal the decision because not so much they think they can win the decision, but they want to delay it. If they can Mm. delay it through the courts, if they get an affirmative decision to give them permission to appeal, then they might drag that out for another year, another two years. All the time they're doing that, they're picking up their 30% tax on these games. And I've got to be fair, there's a 15% and a 30% tax they charge depending on how much revenue you generate through the App Store. I'm assuming below a certain figure, 30%, above a certain figure, 15%. So Mm. as you get to a, a bigger player, it basically decreases. Well, Paddle's come along and they've said, well, forget that 15 or 30% tax you're paying. We'll only charge 5 to 10%, which is still a bit above what you might pay for a merchant fee for a credit card, but it's getting down there to those single-digit figures. I get the feeling someone's going to end up at the bottom of a lake with cement shoes here, but anyway, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> I hope it's not that drastic. <laughs> but I think this is the thing. Apple don't like the idea of missing out on that income, and that's fair enough. They've built this whole app store around this. So they have to, if they follow the court ruling, they have to allow Paddle to introduce this system for any developer that wants to have in-app payments to be able to use Paddle. But again, they don't want to do that. They don't want to really get the court system offside. So their decision at the moment is to appeal, drag it out, see how long we can drag it out for. And at some point in time, if that all doesn't go the way they want, they will have to allow other companies in like Paddle to be able to 
have payments go through and not pick up some of the tax along the way. So there's a little bit of irony here because Apple's trying to slow things down while they get their head around the legalities. You know, you, you say they're dragging things out, but they're, they're kind of getting their head around legalities as well. Um, and yeah, so so here we've, we've been talking about a company that has been really racing ahead of the legal system um, with a legal system that can't keep up with it. And, and now they're saying, oh, well, well, let's, let's, let's just slow down for a little bit. It's here. almost like when it suits them, isn't it? <laughs> Far be it for me to say that. <laughs> but this will be interesting to see how this plays out because it is it is significant money for Apple in terms of what they generate out mm. of the App Store. They don't want other developers or developers they've got now using other payment systems. That's not good for their bottom line. Mm. They don't want that. Or if it gets really drastic, maybe Apple will have to drop their price. What? I know. <laughs> Apple doesn't like dropping their price. Apple likes setting the price and saying, that's what you pay because we're Apple and you're not. Goodness me. Well, um, that's the, well, I guess the third chapter in the, uh, of, of this ongoing saga. I think um, it's a case of just watch this space. You're going to get some more out of there, guys. Is there anything more frustrating than a cra- uh, cracked phone screen? Well, they could be a thing of the past as nature comes to the rescue once again. Scientists developed a new unbreakable glass inspired by nature. Three times stronger, five times more fracture resistant. Tell us more, Matt. We have talked about this, haven't we, that nature sometimes gets things right. Mm. And scientists, the really clever ones, seem to go and look at nature and say, what's going on over here? We might steal this idea. You've just got to look for the right bit of nature, haven't you? You've got to find that. That's the real secret, I think. So what we've done in the past with glass, and I'm talking about probably mobile phone screens more than anything else here, is we've tried to make it really tough, really strong, so that when my millennial kids drop it, which they inevitably do, it's tough enough to handle it being dropped or bounced or land on a few stones or whatever, and I can tell you that it isn't. <laughs> I've had enough broken bones <laughs> with my kids to tell you that, no, it is not strong enough. so annoying. It is. And so making it stronger and stronger and stronger maybe isn't the solution. So some scientists looked at the inner shell of a mollusk, and they looked at that, and they actually broke down the construction of that and they found that how nature had constructed that shell was to have hard components with some soft interleaving components. So in other words, it gave it... Exactly right. It gave it a hard external, but it actually allowed it to be flexible. So they started thinking, could we apply this to glass? And of course they can. And the, the figures you gave, they're three times stronger, five times more fracture resistant. That's exactly right. So it's not trying to be harder and stronger. It's mm. trying to be a bit flexible. So when you do drop your phone, rather than it being really hard and trying to resist that stone that it lands on, it actually flexes a little bit. And that seems like a much smarter solution. Now, you can't go and buy a phone with this glass today. I would estimate two years before we'll see it on mobile phones. But I think we absolutely will see it on mobile phones. And then what else could it be used on? There's lots of places we use glass, obviously. So mm. what else could it be used on? I don't know. Well, but I think it could be used in cars, perhaps, you know. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So that makes sense. Some glass in cars Stone is chips and whatnot. Yeah. Well, some glass in cars is actually part of the structure. Some of the strength, for example. You put a car on its roof, a modern car on its roof now without all the windscreen and the back screen in there, it'll probably be a little bit less likely to crush someone inside. The glass in there helps the strength of it. So would it be strong enough for that? I don't know. So mm. is it only in small glasses, only large glass? How's it going to work? Don't know all those answers, but it's just fascinating the process they've gone through to arrive at this glass that's being effectively built differently and stealing some ideas from nature. Thank you very much, Mother Nature, once again. Now, the other quick one was a funny story, and I haven't been able to confirm this, but the, the theory goes with this story is that back 
in Roman emperor's time, Tiberius Caesar, there was a historical account, and I couldn't find it, so it might just be one of those beautiful myths, but an inventor brought a drinking bowl made of a material to the emperor and showed this material to him to say that you can't break it. Look at how wonderful this material is. Drop it, bounce it. You can't break it. It'll just dent instead of shattering. So it might have been made of something other than glass. And the emperor said, who else knows about this invention? He said, well, only I have the secret. So he had him executed so that the secret didn't get out and it didn't make all of his other materials that the emperor had less valuable. So, <laughs> so, so one of the inventors of this said that we're glad that science is a bit better these days where they accept these new ideas yeah. rather than just have us executed. And rub their hands together to make millions of dollars. <laughs> Calming a person down can be quite a difficult thing. In fact, when people tell you to calm down, it usually has the opposite effect. Let me demonstrate here. Matt, Matt. What? What are you talking about? Down. No. Uh, now calm uh, James. Down. Calm down, will you? <laughs> and even if you're not, even if you're not like tense, someone telling you to calm down, all of a sudden you just start to tense. I'm not up. tense. I'm not tense. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fact, calming someone down is a pretty hard thing to do, and actually requires some practice and solid conscious effort on the part of the person who needs some calming. But things are about to get much easier, Matt. What's happened here in the world of calming people down? <laughs> well, it actually started in sports. One of the things that they found with sports people is if they went into their arena, whatever it might be, a bit anxious or feeling like they weren't going to perform well, if they weren't calm, if they weren't in that zone, mm. they didn't perform well. And they found that sports people week to week playing the same sport, doing the same thing, just perform differently. And some of them describe this whole idea of being in the zone or not being in the zone. So they had to try and work out a way to get these people in the zone. And they came up with a headband that effectively measures their brain waves. Now, it's not going to give you a detailed brainwave analysis, same as it might go if you go into a hospital and have a machine that goes bing. But what it'll <laughs> do <laughs> what it'll do is it'll give you a score on your phone, a score from zero to hundred, about how calm you are. In other words, the sort of waves are being put out by your brain are picked up by this little sensor that sits around your head and that will then show you your calm level. So what they're doing with sports people is saying, sit here with this headband on, just try and concentrate, think about good things, think about performing well, whatever it takes to get you to get that score to show that you're calm and then when you go out into the battle, then we know that you'll perform better. And they're finding that these sports people are being more consistent in their performances. It's not going to make you and I an Olympic athlete, but it's taking those people and making them their best version of themselves mm. on a more regular basis, and that's the secret here. So it does sound fascinating. Of course, as often happens with sport, we can apply it to the general population, and this is a way for people to actually try and calm, be calm, rather than saying, calm down, as you tried a minute ago, which didn't seem to work. <laughs> Doesn't work ever. <laughs> then maybe put one of these on and just focus on your phone and see if you can get that score to a calm level and then relax. And if you start thinking about things that start to make the score go the other way, stop thinking about those things. Think about good things and just focus on calmness. I wonder what the units for calmness are. <laughs> <laughs> What's it measured in? Sure, but there's got to be something there. Uh, measured in, I've got over a score of 67 butterflies. Butterflies, today. that sounds good. I'm, I'm, I'm with that. One thing that I find fascinating, there's a few years ago I was in Japan and we went to a Zen Buddhist temple in a place called Minakamo in Japan. And it was the the concept there, and we spoke to a couple of the people there, was that one of the things that they had to train to do was to train to think about nothing. This was the ultimate calm state. Mm. And I said, well, that's easy. I can think about nothing. He said, no, no, it doesn't work if you're thinking about nothing. You've got to not think about anything. <laughs> and that's 
I found it impossible, but I was there for a day. I <laughs> Did you there fall asleep? For, for, no, you, you're not allowed to fall asleep. You've got to get to this state of calmness. It's years of training, apparently. And so me trying to do it in one day was never going to happen. <laughs> but this is the thing, trying to think about nothing. It's a really tough concept. Mm. So putting one of these headbands on and going to somewhere like the Shojenjai Temple would have been fascinating. Well, I think it would be fascinating to see how calm their brain is when they get to that Zen Buddhist state of thinking about nothing. Sounds fascinating. <laughs> that sounds. That's for another episode. We're going to have to like um, try that sometime, I think. <laughs> now, you don't have to go too far to find a Brit who has fled the gloomy weather of the motherland in search of sunshine abroad. It's almost a standard walking along the boardwalk of Bondi and it scouses shoulder to shoulder. Well, here's some surprising news, folks. The United Kingdom is generating almost as much solar power as Australia. Work that out. Matt, I used to hate it when the Poms beat us at cricket. I used to hate it when they got close to beating us at cricket. Now we've got to deal with this bombshell. The world is inside out. Clear this up for us, please. I'm embarrassed to say that we do have some listeners from the UK, and and it is embarrassing to talk about this story, actually, James. We have 77% more sun than the UK. We have a land mass that's 32 times larger than the UK, and we're only generating 18 terawatt hours of solar power each year, they're generating 13 terawatt hours. So we are ahead of them, <laughs> but yeah. not by much. For but all we've that got extra. so much else going in our favour. We've got all the chips. <laughs> That's right. And I picked two cities just to give us an example. London, for example, gets on average about 1,400 hours of sun each year. Sydney, about 2,500 hours. So that's how big a discrepancy we've got. And yet we still can't smash them out of the ballpark we are just ahead of them. But then when you add wind power in, it gets really embarrassing because, sure, they've got a bit of wind, they've got some coastline, but we've got a bit more coastline than they have if you're only focusing on the coastline. But again, we've got 32 times more actual land mass, so surely we could be much better than them in wind power. But no, they produce 64 terawatt hours a year in wind power compared to our miserable little 20 terawatt hours. Oh, wow. So overall in wind and solar, they're basically double, a bit more than double. They've got 77 terawatt hours a year. We've got 38 terawatt hours a year. does get a, a bit year. blowy up around the North Sea there, particularly around Scotland and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I accept that. But we've got a fair bit of coastline <laughs> yeah, if you want to use that. Surely somewhere in Australia's <laughs> got to get somewhere yeah, close to that. So. so this is really, I suppose, part of the focus here is we've probably got to get a bit better at producing renewable power. We've got the potential to produce renewable power. We talked about it last week where we've got, undersea cables, overland cables. We could transmit some of our power from mm. point A to point B. The focus is the ability to do that now is there, so we should start Money to be made there. Money yeah. to be made if you wanted to do that. Or just let's save the planet. Forget about the money for a minute. Let's just save the planet maybe. Mm. So it's an interesting one, but it is a bit embarrassing. Well done to the to the UK people that listen to our podcast, and, and I'm sorry we're not doing better for the world, but maybe our politicians who obviously listen to this podcast will go, yeah, maybe we can do something a bit better there. One of the things that Aussie politicians often talk about is how wonderful we are in solar power because we've got the number one in terms of per capita rooftop solar and we, we lead the world in terms of rooftop solar. But that's not Aussie governments doing it. That's you and I as individuals yeah. who are yeah. making decisions to put solar panels on our rooftops. And sure, lots of rooftops add up to a fairly large land mass, but we just need some of those big solar farms. Really, we've just got so much land and we've got so much land doing nothing. Surely mm. we can do better than that. Yes, well, yeah, we can only hope that, um, that we get some developments there. Here it is, folks. It's time to talk about cybersecurity again. 
The scammers will try everything and only need to ta- uh, trap a couple to make it worth their while. But Matt, could this be true? Can I really opt out of a scam text message? This sounds too good to be true, James. Opting out of all that rubbish that comes in, fantastic. <laughs> As we've said before, if it's too good to too be true, true, it's probably not. Probably too good to be true. It's really clever social engineering. On the August the second in Australia, they started off the messages a vis- missed voicemail. And so people started clicking on that link to get mm. their voicemail and got their phone infected with Flubot. Yep. And then after we all learned that you don't click on that to get your voicemail, you go in and dial a certain number or go into your phone and get those voicemails. You don't need that app to get your voicemail. Everyone learned, okay, good, we got past that one. But then we went into lockdown and all these parcels are being delivered, all these online parcels and all these extra parcels that I yep. don't remember ordering. Yeah. And then people got infected with Flubot. And so then people went, Okay, don't click on that link if you think a parcel's coming. Unless you've ordered it, maybe, but no, just don't click on that link. So people learned about that. And so now people are at the stage where they go, I am so sick of these messages coming in. I'm sick of the voicemail messages. I'm sick of the parcel deliveries. Oh, there's only some way to stop these messages. So now we're getting messages that say, do you want to stop these messages coming in? (laughs) Click here on this link to stop any more scam messages coming in. So people go, oh, thank goodness, the government's finally come to the party for me. I can finally stop those messages coming in. I'll click on that link to stop any more of those messages coming in. And no surprise here, that's Flubot in another form. (laughs) So (laughs) it is incredibly clever social engineering to get people so we're so frustrated that they'll click on that link, even though they know... They've had a few experiences in the past where maybe they shouldn't have clicked on that link, but this one will solve all their problems. Mm. I'm going back to snail mail. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No text messaging or anything like that. You send me a letter or you don't get a reply or anything. And And it is. It's a problem because we are, we've talked about it before, our inbox or our text message inbox is just being bombarded with so many messages. You miss legitimate messages from people. Hey, why didn't you come to the pub last night? I sent you a message. Oh, I got 78 messages yesterday and I didn't see yours amongst the 77 scam messages that I got as well. So it's a problem. So people are desperate to get some way to stop it. I have people every day ask me, how do we stop those text messages coming in? And I tell them to turn off their phone, but they don't like that answer. (laughs) (laughs) But if we could stop it, it would be fantastic. If we could stop it, there'd be a software company out there or a government or someone that would have a lot of people absolutely loving it. But Mm. no, there is no way to stop it at this stage so when you see those messages please just ignore them don't opt out don't opt opt out it sounds crazy do not opt out of these (laughs) back in the old days before COVID-19 organising a meeting was easy you bought a few coffees put them in the boardroom and let the smell of coffee permeate throughout the office now you have to schedule a conference call integrate different platforms share content control a room It all gets too complicated. That is until you use Crestron to create a seamless hybrid working environment to manage your Teams or Zoom or WebEx meeting environment and focus on your meeting. Visit meetwithcrestron.com forward slash tech talk to take your pain away. And so that rounds off yet another week for Tech Talk for us, Matt. Uh, nice work once again. Thanks, yeah, mate. Thanks very much. I've just got to go and start getting my Twitch skills going so I can get that income flowing in. And uh, I've been your host, James Eddy. And I'm off to go and buy myself one of those mice with, uh, with a fan in it. Don't forget to like and subscribe, guys. We'll see you again next week.